Welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast provides you with self-help resources for handling anxiety, stress, and overwhelm. It is not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks for tuning in. And now, let the chaos begin. In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'm going to be talking about a subject that could be pretty daunting, and that is male-on-male violence. But don't worry, we have somebody here to help us, and he's actually written a book on this topic. His name is Brad Muhort, and he's actually in the state of Washington with me actually down the road a piece, if you might say that. Uh, So Brad has written a book called Peaceful Man, and we'll talk a little bit about that. He's had some experiences with male-on-male violence in his life, and uh, so he actually teaches somatic experiences and contemplative experiences, and he's a coach. He's also uh, somebody who could help you if you have test anxiety. He's sort of one of those people who is great on calming the chaos because I know he's going to offer a lot of tips, tools, and techniques that we can all use, even if it's not related to male-on-male violence. So let's bring up Brad Muhort, who's going to talk with us about his work and about male-on-male violence. Welcome, Brad. Thank you, Tracy. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Nice to see you too. And this is a really, you know, we're always told in school that we need a really specific topic to talk about, right, in our papers that we write. And yours is this concept of male-on-male violence. So I thought we would start out you introducing yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about how you got interested in this topic of male-on-male violence. In a sense, I would have to say I became interested in male-on-male violence as I realized how much of it I had in my history, primarily through my adolescence and a little bit into my early adulthood. And for a long time, I didn't see it as anything significant. It was just something that happens, that boys go through as they are growing up. But at a certain point, I realized how much I had actually been affected and how the extent to which my life had been changed by the violence, my experience of the world changed by the violence that I experienced and how much trauma I had actually was in a sense living in my body that was there for me to to work through to find peace within myself and you know this was not something that happened overnight in a sense this happened through through increments through stages over a couple of decades and i've gone through a long process of doing my own healing work and you know coming to terms with how violence has affected me and at the same time I have, I for, for the past quite a few years, I've been working with men in a variety of contexts who have been affected by violence as well, and seeing the extent to which so many 
boys and men have been affected by violence. Yeah, and it's kind of like a spectrum and there's examples that we can give of just even the most microaggressions that happen, micro violences, if you will, to you know some of the obvious things like a fist fight or even uh, an attempted murder. But uh, yeah, so could you give us a couple of examples of how you were affected by violence uh, when you were growing up? Yeah, so definitely I like I like how you frame that spectrum and in a sense I will say that the violence that I've experienced is not even on the extreme end of the, ex the of the spectrum. For example, I've never I've never been involved with gun violence. I've never been in a war zone. I've never been in a gang. There are certainly many boys and men out there who have experienced exponentially more violence than I have. And yet, in a sense that's my point that even even having grown up in a you know in a middle class family in a in what you would think would be a safe community i still experience this much violence and this is what this is what i hear a lot is that even even the the men who have experienced the least violence have actually often experienced quite a bit i was 13 when kind of I was um, exposed to more violence for the first time. And I was being bullied quite severely when I was when I was 13. My family moved across the town we lived in. I was going to a new school. I didn't know anybody. So I was kind of an easy target in a sense. And I was being bullied by a few boys, all of whom were much larger than I was. And my parents went to the school administration. They didn't really do very much of anything. It was kind of, well, boys will be boys. And my dad, my dad finally told me, you know, the only way you're going to end this is if you fight back, if you uh, just actually make it a fight with one of these boys. And at first I was like, I can't do that. They're all so much bigger than me. Even the smallest of them is so much bigger and stronger than me. I don't have a chance. And then one day there was an incident that happened where I had two boys holding each of my legs and they were in a sense having a tug of war with me. And I, I experienced a, you know, a terror that was, I'd never experienced before. I didn't know if I was ever going to walk again. Like it was, it was, a, it, I'm going to say that was one of the most traumatic events I've ever experienced in my life. And I do, when I remember that incident, there are clear pictures of it, but it's also kind of fragmented the way that I know is kind of a characteristic of a, of a traumatic experience. And after that, having experienced that terror that I did and how, you know, um, in a sense, fearing for my well-being and my and and my life, I I came around to what my dad was telling me and said, okay, I yeah, I have to fight back. And my dad taught me how to punch, how to fight. And, you know, on the one hand, I am I'm very sad that you know, our culture is such that this was the way that I had to, you know, the only way that I and my parents could find for me to, 
improve the situation. And yet I'm also very grateful for my father's kind of insight and support in that way. It's, I see it as a very, a very fine balance, a very tricky, uh, tricky thing to navigate. And anyway, I did, um, I fought one of, one of the boys then I was kind of being circled around a couple days later by a few of them. And I grabbed one of them and started punching him. And I actually even won the fight to put this, despite him being significantly bigger than me. And in many ways that I'm not, I certainly wouldn't say that ended the bullying altogether, but it was never again, quite so severe or, you know, the way that it had been. And there's, you know, there was, there were certainly positive aspects of that experience, but I'm also going to say I, as a, in my adolescent mind, I learned from it that the only way that I could be safe was to be capable of violence and willing to use it. And in a sense, that was the, you know, actually the cycle of more involvement with violence. And, you know, again, and all of the violence that I was involved in is at the relatively mild end of the spectrum as far as things go. And yet there was a somewhat of an escalating cycle of violence for me throughout my adolescent years after that. You mean it escalated even further than almost being drawn and quartered by bullies? Yes. Wow. Well, I have a couple of thoughts here and thanks for sharing that story. And I'm sure you have more. This is just when you think about the terror that you must have gone through when you were going through that experience uh, and just the effect that violence could have, even though it is on that other end of the spectrum, not the gun violence or any other kind of like attempted murder, the stuff that's on the other end. But the effect that it had on you was probably pretty traumatic, right? I, I can't even think. Yeah. And then the other thing is, as you were talking about your dad and him telling you, you know, this is how you've got to survive in this world that we're in. It's unfortunate that we have the world that we're in, and this is the way to survive it. That's what they do in prison, right? Because if you are able and capable of fighting back and defending yourself, then nobody's going to mess with you or fewer people will mess with you. And so it's almost right. like a power struggle and a power dynamic that is in play there, right? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So in the psychology of things, I also thought about uh, how bullies are made. And so sometimes they're learn, they learn from watching adults do the behavior. So it's a behavior sort of thing. And then the other thing is it's done to them. And so yeah. they're just doing it and passing it down the line. And other times is there's that, that old saying hurt people hurt people. So a yeah. person who has been hurt and or is hurting on the inside for some other psychological reason will at uh, lash out. So that's kind of sort of understanding the bully. But then you bring up a, this other point where it's like a bully could just be one of those people who is just uh, like really hyper vigilant and looking for people who might harm them and just say, nope, I'm not going to not going to stand for this. This is the world we live in. And so I'm going to I'm going to strike first. 
So who knows? Uh, different kinds of psychology and psychological reasons for that kind of behavior when you're as young as 13 years old, right? Absolutely. And I do think that what you describe about the, in my words, the, the cycles of violence that occur, that those who have experienced violence are so much more likely to, to perpetrate violence. Uh, you know, I mentioned this boys will be boys idea and Although certainly as human beings and perhaps especially as male human beings, I think we're all capable of violence. We all have that capacity in us in some sense. I also don't think that it's a genetic inevitability. I think that it's a product of our society and our culture that we, we have these cycles of violence. I think that humans, boys, men could equally you know, be able to grow up in peace if we were in the right context and had the right, the, you know, the right culture to to support that and bring that about instead. And from that perspective, rather than boys will be boys, I like to think of it as traumatized boys will traumatize more boys. <laughs> yeah, that's a way to think about it, right? about violence. And you mentioned the cycle of violence. I wonder, there's, well, I, I remember looking at the cycle of abuse, which may be what you're talking about as well. I'm not sure what, how you uh, have described it, maybe in your book or whatever, but when you say the cycle of violence, is there is it kind of like circular or is it like going downward or what? what is the cycle as you see it? I'm just curious about how you see the cycle of violence. I see it as a cycle that has crossed generations. Uh, you know, if we just even go back to say the Middle Ages and the violence that happened then that was, from what I understand, much more severe than any violence we have in the world today. And that was, that happened between people in the Middle Ages and then was brought by the colonists to, to other continents and, and perpetrated a, uh, against the 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 prior residents there, and not only are there cycles of being victims of violence, but I also I also see the the perpetrating violence as being traumatizing as well. It's not just it's not just being the victim that creates trauma. I think that being a victim of violence and equally perpetrating violence causes causes people to disconnect from from their bodies and and carry trauma. So this is, you know, in our 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 ancestors were, you know, committed violence, experienced violence, and this has just been passed down across the the, the generations. So that, you know, when when any individual, when I say I, for example, was experiencing violence, I would I would imagine I was experiencing something along the lines of what these bullies had experienced themselves with at the hands of peers, brothers, fathers, who, you know, who, who knows. And that in a sense, this was all just being transmitted through me, you know, and then the involvement that I, that I became involved with, in a sense, I was passing that trauma on to others. So it seems to me we're in this whole this whole pattern of violence, this whole network in a sense of violence. And in a sense, there's no isolated acts of violence. I think it's all happening 
in cycles, in patterns. And that's, that's also why I think it's so important for men to heal from the violence that they've been involved with, because healing, releasing this trauma from the body, actually creating a, a peaceful being for yourself, I think has the possibility of ending these cycles of violence and any and ending one act of violence or pre preventing one act of violence can also have cascading effects. Yeah, and I think we're going to get into that a little bit more when we talk about the somatic and the contemplative sure. uh, practices too, like how the body stores the trauma and how you can work with that uh, stored energy in your body. I am really looking forward uh, to that part. Yeah, so here we are, and you were 13 years old, you learned how to fight, and you learned that this is the way you needed to survive in the world. And I think uh, one of the things you said earlier, which I can't even imagine if you want to share another story, but how would it have escalated from there? Because here I was thinking, well, now everybody's going to leave you alone because they know you can fight. They know you can defend yourself. And so they're not going to mess with you. But apparently that's not what happened. So it happened much, much more. And I will say there were still individuals who were so much bigger and so much stronger than me that they had just no concern about me fighting back. So that was one aspect. Um, I think if you want a, another story that I, I, I could share that I would say was an, an escalation of even that, um, some friends and I were playing, were playing road hockey and the, my the younger brother of my closest friend at the time, who was just a year younger, he was he was in this game, and I don't remember what it was. We got in some kind of a what I would call a mild tussle. It became we we're you know pushing each other a little bit. I was a year older and bigger, and so it kind of dominated that. And he ended up just getting angry and going home, which is he lived just down the block and. Okay, well, that's over. It was not a big deal at all. And then five minutes later, we've gone back to the game and someone calls to me to look behind me. And there he is charging straight towards me with a 10 inch kitchen knife straight, you know, straight pointed straight at me. And uh, I managed to, you know, dodge that and then knock him to the ground and get the knife out of his hand. And then others, other friends, you know, came and kind of held him down and, you know, pulled us apart and suggested I leave, which at that point seemed like a great idea to me. And so that would be an example of an incident where, you know, um, and in a sense, I would say that was actually probably the most extreme uh, violence or potential for violence that I've, I've ever experienced. That was uh, really the only threat I've had with a deadly weapon. Uh, and I should say so, right? That's a, that's a 10 inch kitchen knife. Seriously. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Wow. And you were able to get the knife away from him or get him to, you were able to get away from that situation somehow. I yes. I dodged the original attack and then knocked him to the ground and I kind of held his hand and banged it into the ground until he let go of the knife. So, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And I was, well, I was, <laughs> I think I was 15 when that happened. So two years after almost being drawn and quartered, you were lunched at with a knife during a friendly game of street hockey. This is what happens in Canada, apparently, right? Yes. <laughs> Which Canada is supposed to be this really peaceful nation. I, I kind of feel a little bit uh, better about the United States hearing that story, uh, actually, in a kind of a strange way. But we'll just roll with that. And um, <laughs> I would like to say I'm very sorry, sorry that that happened to you. And I'm glad you survived. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah. Wow. So when we think about, for me anyway, when you look at the spectrum, and I could not find a spectrum of my own. I will create one, I'm thinking. But when I'm thinking about the spectrum of violence, I'm thinking what divides it in half is going to be like when you pull out a weapon, any kind of weapon. If it's a, you know, a cell phone can be a weapon. You could throw a cell phone at somebody and strike them with it or whatever. I think that kind of divides it in half because there's all this other kind of violence that is you know, verbal abuse, calling names, making fun of somebody, uh, telling somebody that threatening to do something, threatening to, I remember having this happen to me when I was in school, this this one girl, she she th said, I'm gonna choose you out. That's what, the, that's what they used to say back in where I came from. And I was like, yeah. what does that mean? Like I was thinking she was gonna chew me or like she was gonna fight me or something, but no, choose you out means that she's choosing me to beat up. And I remember being so scared, like looking behind me and, and she mm. would put the bus with me. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, is she going to get off at her, her stop? Or is she going to wait for me? So just that kind of, and she never did anything. Mm. She never tried anything, but she scared me. Right. So that yeah. is a, a form of violence. And again, on this end of the spectrum, if you want to say the micro violent aggressions, and then there's, there's where somebody like maybe they they'll hit you with their hands which could also be weapons, but but then what divides it in half for me is like when you pull out something and then you're going to strike a person with it. Uh, right. Even, um, you know, I don't even know this, this sort of came up for me when you were talking about your dad, I was thinking about uh, my own dad who used to whip us with a belt. Mm -hmm. And that, that's like huge for my brother. When I'm thinking of, when I was thinking about, it, I was thinking about my brother, you know, there's, there's an example of male on male violence with Absolutely. a belt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so then that was probably about the worst experience that you've ever had then, correct? Yes. The worst in terms of most extreme violence. Yes. Yeah. Well, gosh, so where do we go from here? I would like to be able to talk about how you were able to, um, I guess one of the things you said was to recognize how the violence was affecting you. Do you want to speak on that at all? Yeah, and this has been, there's kind of been deeper and deeper uh, degrees of realization, I might say, through th through many years in my adult life where I realized how much it, it affected me. And I would say where I first kind of came across it was just realizing how, how much anxiety I, I held. You know, I, this, I was... Um, 
successful career and you know in in some sense it it had all had a very secure life and yet realizing how anxious i felt about really kind of everything but when i dug into it i realized it was in some sense underlying any other anxiety anxiety about a work deadline or a conversation or anything this very intense anxiety in my in my body in a sense it was it was an anxiety of my physical safety and violence and when i and when i say anxiety i'm it's um you know it was it was a very i was very functional i've i've always been very functional in terms of it but really affected by it just in my body and what i was feeling and a a, a disconnection uh through that anxiety and and you know there was so when that became apparent i did a lot of work with that and i was like okay you know there i'm 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 through that but then i've just gone in cycles where i've realized oh yeah the anxiety's more subtle now but i'm still experiencing it and then continued to work with it and that actually seems to keep happening and i'm like okay yeah i'm i've i've worked through this anxiety like oh well yes that's true in a sense and there's still deeper levels of it. There's there's still something. There there's still an eff effects of it that uh, that I seem to keep becoming aware of. Yeah, it's like kind of like survival fear, or like the the this the feeling of anxiety is related to that feeling of survival almost, and it gets you in the. Uh, uh, you know, in the, the hormones that are, uh, you know, secreted like cortisol and this fight or yes. flight stuff. And so it is in the physical body and you noticed it uh, present as anxiety. Uh, did you see a counselor or anybody to help you out with that? Yes. So I did uh, early on when I was working with it, I did extensive work with a psychotherapist for, for, for many years. And I'm going to say, that was certainly the the beginning of my healing path. I went a long ways with that. It really got me deep into into my healing process. I got a lot of insight. Um, really, just became aware that some of these things, you know, actually had an impact on me, and that weren't just you know weren't just normal, in a in a sense, or maybe they're. They're normal in the sense of being common, but we're not we're not trivial in in terms of their impact upon me. Um, and I do see that as the you know being able to share stories with someone, to to talk about it, to be encouraged to you know find find awareness of 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 these stories and how and how they've impacted. Uh, it to be kind of the first step generally on a on a healing path from violence. Yeah, we don't we're not unaffected, right? It, it may be common. It may be something that happens in our world and we're still affected by it. And sometimes years and years later, right? Right. Yeah. So when did you get into, and then we'll look at your book, okay? Uh, but uh, when did you get into the, uh, somatic practices, somatic meaning feeling in the body, right? And yep. the contemplative practices that you talk about in your book. Yeah, so after I had done, 
a, a quite a bit of psychotherapy. Uh, it wasn't even necessarily my intention to go deeper with healing from violence and getting into somatic practices. It was actually, you know, just having some discomfort in my body, some pain that I was dealing with and, you know, not wanting to go the medication surgery route. So started working with some, with some somatic practices like Feldenkrais, Alexander Technique, and started experiencing that actually there was a lot of synergy with these and the psychothera psychotherapeutic work that I was doing, that there was something in seeing the patterns in my life and, and seeing these patterns of, of movement, of tension, of sensation in my body and starting to work with those and move, let those move, release those. And I actually ended up getting more and more into the, 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 the somatic side of things in a, in a variety of ways, uh, something called the Alexander technique is kind of the, the somatic form that I've gone deepest with, but I've worked with a lot of other ones as well and came to, to experience in myself, at least that there's such, there's such deep capacity for healing in working with the body and these patterns of, tension, sensations, movement in the body and changing those patterns and breaking the patterns, it can really uh, shift insight, shift emotions and really create a whole new way of being in the body. In a sense, we could say it's finding, ultimately finding peacefulness in the body. And it certainly can be, you know, intensity moving through the body on, on the path there. But ultimately, I think these practices can really help us find a home in the body, landing in the body, peacefulness in the body, really fully inhabiting our bodies in ways that uh, we may have lost the capacity to do through trauma. Yeah, I work with the mind and the body, and I think that might be a little bit of what you're talking about, uh, the somatic practices that you're talking about. But yeah, so the body, and you have, if you, anyone out there has pain in their bodies, it could be actually kind of your body's way of telling you that there's something to attend to and not to be scared by it, but to do what Brad did, which is actually meet it where it's at and try and work with it and be curious about it. Uh, I'm sure you can give us some examples and we'll look at those uh, as far as somatic. So some kind of pain or uh, dis-ease in your body could be uh, something that you could work with a somatic practice with. And you could also see a medical doctor as well. But uh, that's a, a really good uh, way to illustrate how the body can be your friend and telling you, hey, there's something to attend to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't see that it's not my perspective that all pain or all disease in the body is, you know, from trauma or can be dealt with through somatics. And I do also believe that a great deal of it is that and can be worked with through somatics. So 
So it, it's definitely something to explore, especially if yeah. all medical efforts have not been successful. And I think that's been my experience in uh, the past as well. If if there's nothing wrong with me medically and I still hurt, there's got to be some th something emotional that I need to do. Right. So tell us about what contemplative practices are. What can you explain that? So contemplative practices are might you might call them meditative practices as well, and they're certainly to be explored as as kind of meditations and something that you know to to sit with and to work with. And the the ones that I talk about in my book are for the most part are around compassion and forgiveness and. Some of that is finding compassion for ourselves, for violence that we've experienced, finding compassion for others, for violence that they've experienced or that even that we have committed against someone else. And then also finding compassion for ourselves, for violence that we may have committed ourselves. And that I actually, that can be a very challenging one. Uh, also, also challenging can be finding compassion for people who committed violence against us. And all of this is a practice and I would say an exploration. It's certainly not to say that you need to or you sh even that you should have compassion for, you know, for uh, someone who was violence, who is violent against you. And Certainly, I think I would I would say that that is something to be worked towards. And at the same time, I wouldn't have any judgment of anyone who said it at this moment. I just have no compassion for this person who was violent against me. Yeah, that's totally fair. And that is part of the exploration in even considering feeling compassion for this person. What comes up? Is there grief? Is there rage is there anxiety what is there so these practices as well as being in a sense bringing up an aspiration also can bring up a lot of emotion and responses that actually need to be need to be seen that actually need to fully come through in the journey of healing yes as they say in psychotherapy it's a practice not a perfect right? We're not going to be, right. as long as we show up and we're willing to try and we're willing to even be honest, like you said, I honestly don't think I can forgive that person, then meeting that where it's at. And so it sounds very Zen, what you are describing here, a contemplative practice of, of it sounds like then uh, forgiveness, self-compassion, meeting yourself where you're at, uh, and uh, it sounds like willingness, willingness to show up and see mm -hmm. what shows up, right? Right. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and I'm going to share the screen with you and we're going to go and make a trip over to your website. Okay. All right. Can you see that okay? Yes. All right. So this is the home page of your website and I'll go ahead and put that website up here. Yes, www.peacefulmanbook.com. And as you can see, here is the book. And it talks about male-on-male um, -male violence and its prevalence around the world. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book and what you go into in the book? 
The, the book is broken into three sections, which actually are along the lines of what we have talked about here. In the first section, I tell the stories, many of the stories of violence that I've experienced, my involvement with violence. And I've, you've heard a couple of these stories, but there are many more. And at the end of each story, I, I present some questions which is inviting you as the reader to explore your own stories of violence that may have been, uh, that you may have been reminded of and to, by reading um, my own story and uh, you're invited to consider how you have been affected by that story of violence that you may have. And it's, and I think this is also these stories, if you are working with a psychotherapist or some some kind of listening professional who you are talking with, telling your stories to, I think that this could be used very effectively in this can be used very effectively in parallel to be reminded of store of, of of the stories and invited to consider those and then to be able to to share with whoever you're working with. Right. Yeah, it sounds like it's got that quality of a workbook uh, uh, to it. I've read books like that that challenge you. They they ask a couple of questions and then maybe do a practice or whatever. But that sounds really super yeah. cool. And using it with your therapist or even in a group. I could see this wor working in a group. I know you do offer some groups, but I don't know if you you center them around this book. S somewhat, I would say loosely. Yeah. yeah. So to be able to uh, to read a chapter and reflect on it and then also just sort of consider how this has affected you and right. invite them to consider how violence has affected you for right. sure. So right. awesome. Yeah. And, and then so, in the second and third parts of the book, there are somatic practices and contemplative practices and the the somatic practices, there's quite a few different ones presented there. Different things work well for different people. Different things work well at different times. So I've presented uh, several possibilities for somatic practices that are starting points for different people. Right on. Okay. And I, there's a contact form here if you want to have updates uh, for what Brad is doing. It sounds like there's online men's groups, other offerings, and um, they're related to the book. So here's a way of connecting with Brad and uh, some groups and some information about this. This book is actually available on Amazon. And we can go ahead and there's there's the Amazon link if you care to do that. But we'll go ahead and take a little trip over there as well. Uh, I think it's always exciting when my guests have books on uh, Amazon. So let's just kind of look at it there. There it is. Ta-da. So, of course, it has the look inside that is free. And if you have uh, Kindle Unlimited, it is absolutely nothing. So check it out. It's on Amazon. And uh, yeah, and is there any other uh, venues that you, they could buy the book on? It's, it's only sold through Amazon at this point. Awesome. Yeah, well, everybody knows Amazon. So we will remember that and I'll have it in the show notes as well.
Great, great. Well, so, um, you know, with a book like that, that has some sort of a, you know, a, a sort of a challenge or an invitation for readers to look inward, I'm just kind of wondering what some questions or topics that people bring up about violence are. And the one thing that usually comes up for me in sessions, especially working with males, is this concept of bullying. And you've even talked about it uh, being a thing for you. And so I guess this, there's this question about how or why as someone being a victim of bullying could possibly be violent or become a bully. Do you want to speak on that at all? So the way I see it is that when, when someone experiences their own boundaries being violated, their, their body being disrespected, their their own life and being not being not being respected there's in a sense a learning process that goes on there such that having experienced that oneself i think it becomes much easier to violate the boundaries of someone else to disrespect the the body and the life of someone else so I think it's a very unfortunate learning process that happens on a personal level that so often can, um, you know, not to say that all people who are victims go on to become perpetrators, because that's certainly not the case. However, I, I strongly believe that almost all perpetrators, if not all, have learned to perpetrate violence by being a victim themselves of having 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 the experience of their boundaries their bodies being being disrespected and violated that's an interesting way to put it as far as having the body violated and then all of your healing work goes back to the body and that is so true right right yeah yeah so not everybody will become a bully but it certainly is possible uh through that process that you just described for sure right right yeah uh, the other thing is we talked about the cycle of violence and uh and all that in a spectrum of violence and so the, it is important to heal from it so if there is any uh, tips or tools that you have to offer somebody. Now we have your book. And um, so we'll go ahead and list that Amazon link in the show notes. So if anybody's interested, check it out. Uh, on a just sort of a basic level, is there anything that you would offer uh, just as a tip or a tool to the audience, anybody who's experiencing male-on-male -male violence? So for anyone who is, you know, would, who would consider themselves at risk of perpetrating violence. I would look at that as being an anger management issue, likely for the most part. And I would actually say my, that, that that person, my book and my work, that's not really who I am most addressing is those who are, you know, actually at risk of continuing to be involved with violence to, to perpetrate violence. Though for, for those people, my encouragement would definitely be take you know professional anger management training and work with a psychotherapist who is actually you know 
ideally even specializing in anger management, et cetera. Um, although certainly, you know, any psychotherapist is probably going to go a long ways towards, you know, being able to, to work with someone. So really my book and my, my practices are targeted towards men who, who are not really uh, kind of beyond the anger management and any likelihood of perpetrating violence in, you know, as a, in a reactionary way or, or anything like that, and who are really trying to go into uh, deeper healing in themselves. Yeah, so more of the victims of violence, anybody who has been a victim of violence but is not experiencing the anger management mm -hmm. sort of thing, but the more the anxiety or the fear uh, sort of based emotions that come with being a victim of a body violation, if you will, right? Yes, and I would also say potentially men who have perpetrated violence in the past but have really kind of worked through their anger management and now are like, you know, maybe even have remorse for what, for violence they may have been involved with in the past. I mean, I, I have some of that in myself. I feel remorse for some violence that I was involved in, albeit it wasn't the most extreme violence. I, you know, never crippled anyone or anything like that along those lines. And yet at the same time, there was, you know, there was violence that I was involved with that, I, I would, I would, cr I, I cringe out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So choices that you uh, have made, or you as a collective, you is what I'm saying. Yeah. That that may you've you may have to make peace with, right? This is what I've right. done, and this is something that I probably wish I wouldn't have chosen, or at the time it was an emotionally based decision mm -hmm. made out of anger. And I do have a favorite anger management book, and we'll go ahead and put that link in the show notes for people who are actually interested in managing their anger, because it's a really important sort of way uh, to get started in this journey, right? Absolutely. And I actually do from there want to jump back to your, your question a moment ago about just you know, an action to take. And, and more than anything, where wherever uh, someone is at, I would encourage him to do whatever healing work is appropriate and that is that feels like a good fit for him. Whether it is someone who's you know still has an anger management issue, then yes, absolutely, it's anger management. That is his his healing work at the time. For someone who's gone you know kind of beyond that in in his healing already, let's say. It's simply to go deeper into, into his healing work, whether that's working with the psychotherapist, joining a men's group, reading my book, getting into somatic practices, whatever it is, whatever it is, just please do, do the healing work that is appropriate for you, that is going to be nurturing to you, that is going to be your next step on this journey and find this peace in yourself. I think it's so important in the world for, for men to be doing this healing work. I think it's important for our own lives and I think it's important for everyone else too because uh, you know, we're, we've been talking here about male on male violence and you know, that's, where, that's where males experience at least the vast majority of the violence they experience is at the hands of other males. 
but some of the perpetration of violence that happens against women, against children, against animals, against our forests, against our entire planet. So I actually think there's a whole network of violence and trying to uh, eliminate any of these issues without addressing the male on male violence, I actually think is missing a big piece of it. And I think it's a very overlooked piece. So that's why what I see as being so important is just simply men, please do your healing work. Do something, right? If it's just talk therapy, if it's a self-help book, if it's, if it's buying a book like yours, if it's a seeing a hypnotherapist or an energy healer, wherever mm -hmm. you're at, right? And uh, just do something. Do what's right for you. Do what draws you. Do what feels good to you. And it may take a few tries. You, you know, you may try something like, okay, yeah, not that. Mm -hmm. that that's fine too. Right. Yeah. Very, very sound advice. So I, I do want to visit the last two pages of your website. I'll put the website address up again. And because I think there's really some really cool things on your website. Yeah, I really thought it was cool that you have actual somatic practices. See how I click here, you will get a, an actual file that it's SoundCloud file, but you can actually listen to a somatic practice. This one is 15 minutes long, right? And uh, you can actually listen to somatic practices and contemplative practices right on Brad's website. Did you, uh, do you want to say something about the, oh, these are all guided meditations from the book. So sorry, it takes me a little bit of time sometimes to realize what I'm doing here. So these are all from the book. Yes, they are. So these are these are practices that, let me say another way, some of the practices you can just read and then and then do. You don't need to be kind of going step by step reading and then and then doing. The ones that were more uh, along the lines of you need to be kind of guided through, I created audio versions of them and made those available on my website so that, uh, so that rather than having to read and go back and forth, people could actually just listen to them and, and follow those. But they are freely available on my website as well to anyone who's interested. If you actually want to get a, a sense for some of the practices in my book, there, yeah. they, there they are. Yeah, I love that you shared these as well. And uh, again, there's the invitation to subscribe to hear the updates about what you're doing. And uh, so, yeah, there's forgiveness, there's healing the violence, healing victims of violence, compassion through language and through the felt sense. So I thought that was great that you had those on your, your website. And so here is something that I wanted to also share. Uh, this is the information uh, about Brad. And uh, so if you are interested in learning more about him, and uh, he even offers his email address here, which is kind of brave in these days, right? Because, oh my gosh, emails can be very, very uh, time consuming to go through. So uh, thank you for offering that resource. And uh, this is Brad, and it uh, looks like you're sitting somewhere on a park bench there. Very peaceful background. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there any other thing in closing that you would like to offer our listeners? I have, again, your website. You are on, I have link, you are on LinkedIn. I found you on LinkedIn. So go to LinkedIn if you want to check out Brad there. And then I also have this link here. <laughs> 
And this, tell us a little bit about, it's a little off the track, but this is what you do too. You help yep. people prepare for tests and you have actually had some really high, if not perfect scores on tests. Is that right? That's some pretty true. major yep. tests. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, you help people to do, uh, is it test anxiety or just to help them pass the tests with, uh, with better scores? I would say a combination of those two. Yes, I help people get prepared for a variety of standardized tests. And uh, a lot of my students are coming from a place of at least a great deal of stress about the tests, if not anxiety. And uh, what I do with them is a combination of helping them to be, let's say, intellectually prepared for the test um, but then also, um, equally importantly, being, being able to go into the test with a good state of mind and being able to perform well, perform competently, uh, despite the stress. So there's, uh, I actually use, uh, use somatic practices quite a bit um, with, with this work as well in, in teaching people how to be able to perform well under under pressure. And is it any test or is it just a couple of standardized tests that people take like the GRE or the uh, SAT? So there's SAT, ACT, GMAT, GRE are the four that I that I work okay. with students on. Great, great, awesome. Yeah, so which ones did you get perfect scores on? I think you said you did or I read it somewhere. Uh, the, the SAT and ACT, I can get perfect scores on. I, uh, I came pretty close on the GMAT, but not quite. Wow. Impressive, for sure. Well, Brad, it was great having you on uh, Calming the Chaos today. I really appreciate you coming in here and offering us your expertise. And um, I appreciate uh, the book. Uh, and please go and listen to some of these practices from the book. They're free. They're out there. They're on Brad's website. And uh, yeah, thank you so much again for the perspective on male-on-male -male violence. Thank you for having me on your show, Tracy. Absolutely. Good conversation. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. You can find all Calming the Chaos podcasts on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, Amazon, and on YouTube. You can also go to www.calmingthechaospodcast.com for more information and to see all podcast episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.